Hello and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. I'm Star. And I am Ivy. And this is episode 25, brought to you by Kala's Root Roller Coaster. So this week we read chapters 18 to 30 of Never Seen, and a lot of fun stuff happened. It's early for all of us, given all of us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, alright, we got this. So, um, this section started off with Kala bringing Sophie and Bianca to Brackendale, which is a place where there's the plague. Um, so yeah, the they're there to like investigate the plague and to maybe see what's going on with that. They run into the never seen, specifically Roy Ignis. Wait, do we know his name yet? Yeah, Roy Ignis. Do we know? I don't think we know his name at this point. It doesn't look like it because in the chapter it's like he's a scion path. Oh no! But they never go like, oh, it's Roy. They were looking him up, but he didn't. Um, they couldn't find who it was because there were like eight people. Okay, so they don't know his name yet. Okay, you know. I never actually know how to pronounce this guy's name. I've always thought it was Roy, but I've also heard, like, Rui and Shrugs. Either Shannon will tell us, or it doesn't matter and we do what we want. Or or both. Or both. I also, um, something that I noticed a while ago, actually, and I think a lot of people have noticed it, is that, um, Roy Ignis's like, physical appearance is never described in the book so we actually have no idea what he looks like and I think I don't I don't think it was intentional like I remember vaguely hearing something about like how Shannon doesn't really how Shannon Messenger like doesn't really think about physical appearances in her head so like she has to consciously add them in to the books later so I guess they just forgot with Roy but I thought that was interesting I don't know you know I don't know if this makes sense, but that actually, that might go a, not a long way, but if you have trouble with physical appearances and you know that one of the main things, like one of the, 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 the most common physical descriptors that's supposed to be meaningful in some way is eye color, you know how you help yourself out with that one? You give everyone the same eye color. (laughs) Like, no matter what happens, you always know you can go for blue. I don't necessarily think that's true or why she did that, but, like, maybe it was a bonus. Alright, and then, um, so yeah, they, Sophie and Bianca meet Roy, um, although they don't know he's Roy yet, I guess, and he's guarding this tree that looks remarkably unplagified. And um, and then that's when things get interesting and Viana just flings the black swan pendant at the force field surrounding the tree. And okay, I have it in my notes that the force field explodes with passion. <laughs> <laughs> what? Really? Wait. Yes. <laughs> but um, no, the force field actually kind of just catches on fire. I don't think it actually explodes. Oh, uh, no, it, it explodes. Oh, it explodes? Okay. Unraveling right. the energy shield in a burst of white flames. I think we can say, yeah. yep. It explodes with passion. Okay, so, so yeah. 
Biana did that. That's pretty cool. Can we just say, like, props to Biana for, like, being a mad lad and, like, <laughs> throwing the- Just yeeting the pendant? Like, who would think to do that? Biana, I guess. I just- And, like, this is from another chapter, but the specific words she gets don't even, like, there's nothing- As far as I know, there's nothing in them that says, Ah, yes, yeet the pendant. Is there? That's true. She actually used Fitz's words. Yeah, the smallest thing can be the most dangerous. Which, which was, I thought was interesting, yeah. Yeah, which was cool because we were talking about the notes that came along with the pendants last week and we had no idea what Fitz's meant or what most of them meant. So I guess now we know what Fitz's meant. Yeah. And like, I don't, I, that brings up, I know that probably not because they don't, um, like they didn't know that this would happen. They didn't want this to happen. But that brings up, the point of like were they expecting Fitz to be with Sophie when she faced off against a cyanopath right well it makes me wonder though if like if it was if that note was for that specific purpose of like if you ever meet a cyanopath who's protecting a tree with a force field you better throw the pendant at the force field to make it explode like I don't think they had especially they had particularly anticipated that situation but that is interesting that they might have meant for like for Fitz to be with Sophie whenever she was in whenever she was in any sort of danger that would require the that would require the pendant to be used as like a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bird. I have a bird. I love your bird. <laughs> Just from that screech, I immediately love it. He's great. I'll send you pictures. I feel like I feel like if the note was given to Fitz under the idea that, like, anytime you're in danger, just know this thing can be used as a weapon, that makes me wonder, what else can this pendant do? Like, not to be that girl that's like, what are the physics of Keeper of the Lost Cities? But, like, first book. Like, I think a direct line that is all the stuff you... That's not a direct quote, but, like, Fitz quite literally says, all the stuff you know about physics is wrong. I'm like, okay, well, how does physics work then? Because it seems to just be, like, this light is just this mystical, dangerous thing. And anything can happen, and it can do anything, and sometimes the anything will kill you. And you don't know when, and you don't know why. And that's terrifying. Yeah, like, regarding elven phys- Okay, Ivy, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you know more about this than okay, I do. Okay, alright, I'm This here. isn't about Let's physics, go. this is about Brandon <laughs> Sanderson. So- <laughs> Oh, okay! I think right. I vaguely remember, like- Brandon Sanderson's one of his rules of fantasy was like the like how powerful your magic system is is has to be proportional to how well explained it is and I feel like with Coddle right now it's like there is not a balanced proportion here where we have pretty much no idea how this light-based magic system or the light physics or whatever works but it's been doing a lot of stuff like exploding force fields and it just makes us kind of confused okay but actually but actually though but also um okay the deal with that though is that i actually feel like i disagree with y'all Ooh, spicy okay this thing spicy disagreement 
I actually feel like the magic system is pretty balanced in this book and is pretty well explained, and I will explain why. Because it's not, it is this type of thing where it's not like a system, it is a bunch of different systems and a bunch of different powers. So, like light leaping, that is one thing. You know exactly what you can do with light leaping, how it works, and they use it all the time. That's balanced. Like, throwing the thing at the thing <laughs> it's it's kind of medium explained because you know every time i throw this right like it has very specific rules every time i throw this pendant at the force field it's gonna explode with passion that that is a well explained thing and so you can use it but they don't know how it works and they don't actually use it that much but it's like they can use it in the way, at, in accordance to how much they know about it. But each of them are different powers. It's like they're not going to ever synthesize like new things to do with light because that doesn't make sense. But they can like do all these individual things and use them a lot because each of them individually makes sense. Huh. Okay, I think I follow. I think I follow and I think that makes sense. But I do think that that makes for... Okay, hi, I'm biased. I'm a sucker for magic, like, magic rules and magic loopholes. And okay, there's X, Y, how can we use that to make Z? So I, I'm biased here. Uh, and I, I know that. And so this isn't necessarily a criticism. Just I think it would be cool if, like, we see here, it's like it refracted the light a hundred different directions. Okay, so... Can we take- You can light leap. Not to light leap, but like, could you form a crystal? Like, could you create your own crystal that was capable of unraveling energy fields? Could you use that to, like, to kill someone while light leaping? If you could, like, scatter them by refracting the light? I don't even know how that would work, but it's a thought. Maybe you could figure it out. That would be so awesome. Wait- didn't they actually bring that up in um, in terms of how Wiley's mom died? Like, oh, you're right. Like something about how like while she was in the middle of light leaping, like her concentration broke and then she got scattered across different light beams. Like, but we never found out how. Like, we know we know she was murdered while light leaping, but we never found out how. And, and, and like that's the thing. That's the thing about saying okay, light leaping can do X, Y, and Z. But it's harder to speculate on some of the mysteries when you don't know how X, Y, and Z work because you then you can't be like, here's where it could have gone wrong. Or do we actually know how she got scattered and I'm like just blanking? No, I don't think they ever really explain it. I thought that they, like, I thought that while she was light leaping, like, someone, like, was like hey over here and then like she lost concentration yeah no i think well what they said was that gisella attacked her i think while she was light leaping but they don't oh that would break her they don't explain like yeah whether she just like i don't know body slammed her or, or like if it was actually something more more magical that specific with like specifically that could specifically make her fade it's fascinating and it's complicated and it's hard to speculate when the characters themselves just know so little about how everything works. But it's it's interesting. 
Also, by the way, speaking of badass moves, forgot how cool Kella's whole I'm gonna sing and that's gonna do magic system was. Like Yes, it's so cool. I had um I also had a theory that I talked a little about last week, but it has um developed since then from reading. That like the black swan pennants, I thought they said at some point were Maxidian. So like if they cut them in different ways they could do different things. And I was wondering, like, if if that's because it's all about angles and, you know, refraction and stuff. So, like, if you cut, like, a normal crystal in different ways, could it do something else? Because, like, later on, this is later on, but later on, they, like, with the selkie skin thing, they do the, um, they use the light from the unmapped star. But it takes them to a different place. Like, it took them to the western beach the last time and then the eastern beach this time. And it's like, how would that work with the light from the exact same star? Unless there was something about, like, the way that they did it or about the crystal that took them to a different place. And I thought maybe, like, it was cut differently or something in a way that it would take them there. Well, wait, did they use a different crystal to get there than to get back or to then to get to the other place? Oh, I don't know. Well, actually, I think they use the vial, right? I feel like they do those things. No, the vial is the star. Never mind. Wait. I know there are, like, two other things that I want to get to, but I feel like there are other things in between that. One, Dex shoving a stick into a gadget. That is still one of the most iconic moments of, like, this entire book for me. I love it. And two... Fitz getting stabby stabbed. Yeah. Yeah, those are two important things. <laughs> like, this entire section to me is just, ah, yes, let's shove sticks, or, well, sharp, vaguely stickish things into other things. And sometimes those things are gadgets, and sometimes those things are chests. You know? <laughs> oh my god, you're right. <laughs> this is the impalement section. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, because, like, like, I know there's other stuff, like, I'm paging through to try and find the stick section, and, like, they meet Geffen, Keith continues to have a crisis, stuff like that. Look, I don't want to be sympathetic to the choice he makes, I believe, at the end of this book. I don't want to, because it's a bad decision. And he's stupid for making it. And then he, it doesn't come with the consequences that I personally wanted to. So, like, part of that is me being biased. But I don't like it. And I, I, I don't want to be sympathetic to him for it. But also, like, dude, you're really going through it, aren't you? I feel exactly the same way. Like, like never seen Keith is honestly just a really great character he had really great moments and like and development throughout this book and like it actually I don't know I feel like he had an arc in this book that made sense for the thing at the end and then Lodestar just kind of unraveled all of that so for now I'm just kind of taking this moment of like good Keith character arc and like savoring it yeah same like I feel like in Lodestar they were just kind of like okay that thing happened just kidding <laughs> like also like oh sorry yeah and also i just like really liked this um i really liked the 
friendship that Sophie and Keith had in this book because I felt like they were really like supporting each other and getting to know each other better, which still continues like later on, but I felt like it was particularly strong in this book. And I feel like what's fascinating here is they like they clearly care about each other and they're trying to support each other and neither of them know what they're doing. And the choice Keith ultimately makes is I am going to choose getting the goal that I've been working towards, trying to figure this out over my friendship with you. And it's not the right choice, especially since like he doesn't warn anyone. But I feel like what what was so lacking in Lodestar is Sophie spends so much time like trying to support Keith and make sure that he's okay and Keith is trying to like make sure that she knows more and they're working together and so when ultimately Keith's like no I am choosing figuring this out over my friendship with you and then Lodestar's like but they're still friends it's okay it's cool they still chat and everything and I'm like you made a decision at the end of never seen stick to it so yeah that's Keith's crisis <laughs> but um we were gonna talk about getting stabbed though right <laughs> although before we move to that just one more thing again with the light light poisoning's a thing now what's the difference between light poisoning okay i feel like light poisoning was always a thing is it though? okay i'm just yeah i'm confused because i thought that in book one they like used light poisoning and fading kind of interchangeably but now it seems like light poisoning is like a discrete specific thing and it's separate from fading because we don't see it brought up in book one, but she's like, oh, you reformed with light particles. So, so what does it, that mean? like, I thought you said physics didn't exist. Should we be assuming these are atoms? Does light have atoms? Light doesn't have atoms. Wait. <laughs> oh my god, it's confirmed. Sophie is part plant. She absorbs photons. <laughs> Sophie can photosynthesize. <laughs> Sophie is a wave. But, um, yeah, so. Actually, that brings up... Okay, so I'm, like... I'm great at pulling up unrelated things from other books and trying to make them fit. However, um, in Exile, Sophie, Sophie's whole issue was that when she looked into the mirror that reflected pure light, she saw, like, a ton of light, and then she got a headache. So I feel like that could... If that's how they're defining light poisoning as having light particles inside of you I feel like that could be related to whatever was going on with her ability in exile because like if the light if there were light particles inside of her and she was and they were being reflected back to her in the mirror I don't know what I'm talking about but like no that makes sense I just I feel like from what I remember exile was you faded we had to save you from quite literally dissolving into nothing but light uh and when we we managed to do it, but you reformed weaker, flawed. Like there was something, you you weren't quite as strong. Then what is this? Right. But the thing is, like, I feel like it wasn't light po- Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it wasn't light poisoning in Exile, though, because, like, if they hadn't- I mean, it seems like they've had a name for light poisoning for a while, so, like- it wouldn't have been all mysterious and weird in exile if it had been light poisoning. So I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's confusing and it's strange. And it, it, it's one of the things that sticks with me. Like how dangerous is lightly? Like just cause on this rewrite, 
sorry, re reread. What is my words? On this reread, so much has been like lightly faith. It's casual. It's a part of everyday life. And then Sophie does it and like one out of every ten times nearly dies or gets damaged. Right. You could <laughs> die. I mean, yeah, like... And then there's the whole thing with the Nexuses, too, where, like, it's... I mean, like, fading obviously is pretty dangerous if they have kids wear these Nexuses for such a long time. But... Oh, yeah. And, yeah. like, why don't... Why doesn't everyone just always wear a Nexus? Because, like, wouldn't that protect you? That's a really good point, actually. <laughs> like, like, there's no downside to wearing the Nexus, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, bro. It would be cool to have them, like, have the Nexus, but then if they have to make a leap that's, like, like, um, not, uh, or that's, like, not sanctioned by the council, they have to take off the Nexus, and they have to learn how to, like, concentrate and stuff. And then that would make it make sense why, like, all these light leaping thingies are dangerous because they're not using the thing that Oh, okay, yeah, that would make sense. Not die. See, that would make sense. Anyway, don't even talk to me about the symptoms of light point. We're just gonna- we're, we're moving on! We're moving on! Or I won't shut up about this! We're moving on! This- I'm sorry, this has nothing to do with the stabbing still, but this was in the same sort of general section as the Twiggler. I'm still so confused about whether or not Sophie can read. She cannot. Because in this chapter- in this chapter, they were like, Sophie can read the Black Swan runes, but she can't read normal runes. However, in the earlier books, they were like, Sophie could read normal runes, but not the fancy formal runes. So what kind of runes can she read? I think she can only read the Black Swan rune. But she could read the normal runes in book one. I don't remember when she could read the normal runes, but I don't think she can. Wasn't... Wasn't reading the normal runes, like, from Jolie's No, Jolie journal? wrote in the Black Swan runes, I thought. Or, like... No, Jolie wrote in Mirrored... Oh! Yeah, like, but it was Mirrored, but it was, like, Mirrored Black Swan runes, I thought. That's what I thought. I could be wrong. No, but... Wait, no, but then Edelyn was reading the journal. So she had to have been able to read it, too. She had to... No, it must have been in normal runes, then, not in Mirrored, because... I'm so confused. Because Edelyn picked it up. I remember this because I was thinking about it. Edelyn picked up the journal and was just like looking at it and was like, mm, my baby. <laughs> so then I guess we can assume that in this situation, in Never Seen, the quote unquote normal runes that they're referring to are actually the fancy runes. The fancy runes are like runes that the elves only use for like official documents and like like, I think it's basically, like, cursive. Like, it's, like, for special occasions, which would actually make sense because I think they were trying to read scrolls that were, like, an official, like, treaty or something. So there's cursive, ru there's cursive runes, there's print runes, assumably, and cipher runes. And so she can't read cursive, but she can read print, and she can read cipher. Okay. That makes enough sense that I'm, 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 we're rolling with it. I'm rolling with it, I guess. I think that's how it works. So, Dex stabs a gadget with a stick, and suddenly it works. It's... Like, not to be that girl, but 
I, t- I mentioned at the start of this that I love magic rules and magic systems and this is X, therefore Y. And so the concept of, okay, I need this to broadcast in all six frequencies. And so that means I need different metals for each one of the frequencies, but there are six and I can only assign five metals. What do I do for the sixth one, which isn't a metal-based culture? It doesn't work on metal-based things, like they're plant-based. Well, what do you what do you do when you need to connect to a, a, a thing that's metal-based to a plant-based culture? Shove a stick in it. It's a genius idea. It is it's one of those things where it's like it's really that simple. That's all you needed. But yeah, that is all you needed. And I like I love it when things thematically connect. I love like a, a system where you can be, okay, this is what I've got. How do I get to what I need? Basically, what I'm saying is I like it when magic is an escape room, and this is exactly the kind of thing you'd find in an escape room puzzle. So I love this. I barely even remember what it's for, like Luminaria database, scroll, uh, but I love it. Shall we move on to the second stabbing? So yeah, um, Fitz gets impaled. Fitz gets impaled? <laughs> F in the chat. F in the chat. But um, anyway, I, some context for that, I guess. Is that they're um they're trying to break Prentice out of exile, and then um, council shows up. They have a little scuffle, and <laughs> I love how you describe things. <laughs> and um yeah, so Fitz I think falls onto the like. It's not a horn. I forget what it's called. I think I imagine it was like a narwhal antenna. thing. It's called an antenna. Antenna, yeah. Yeah, I've got the thing. I've got the thing yeah. up right here. So he falls onto the antenna of an arthropleura, and things go badly from there. Well, I mean, technically, that's just as badly as things go. Like, True. <laughs> he gets stabbed, and everyone goes, "Oh God, a child was stabbed. We should um fix that." And then it's like, "All right, okay, okay, fine. We'll leave, y'all. Just." run with it i love how zarina it like multiple times is just like it was an accident this is not our fault cannot hold us legally responsible on the one hand that's hilarious on the other hand it's me back again with the guilt i think she has to say that because it's one of those things again where it's like you let yourself believe it's your fault you shudder Mm -hmm. and it's like I don't know, say, say Fitz actually had died, like, what would that have done to the council who were technically, like, partially responsible for all that? Like, would it have broken them or would it have been too, sort of, far, too many steps removed from, like, actually killing him? Who knows? Oh, no. You know what it would have done? You know what it would have done, though, no matter what happened? What? Gone in a cache. Ooh. Oh, that makes me scared for Unlock. <laughs> like, if we get, if we get, like, surprise, the Council of Murders and Unlocked, I'm gonna have a crisis. <laughs> Just like Keith. Oh, jeez. 
I do think that it's a bad idea to, this isn't never seen, but I do think it's a bad idea to, like, open the cache in front of everyone. I feel like Sophie should just do it alone, because she's the only one who wouldn't, I mean, well, I feel like probably some of the others wouldn't either, but, like, still, that's kind of y'all. That's true, like, Orly's just gonna open it in the open, like, isn't the whole point of the cache being, like, if you see that memory, you will break? So she's like, okay, let's see the memory. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I feel like you can tell a, a story, a, a meaningful story about most elves break from guilt. And so we need to learn how to not do that. And part of that involves being able to see the things that we are guilty of and learn to deal with them and accept them and not let the guilt consume us. Like, I feel like there's a story you can tell there, but I don't know how you tell that story given what you've already set up. Well, I do think that it's building up to some sort of thing where, like, the council did something really bad with the humans and caused something terrible, and then they were like, okay, let's cash it and forget it. Okay, well, that relates to Fitz because of the Vacker legacy, right? Then, assuming the Vackers were involved in whatever's in the cash. Assuming the Vackers were involved, but I assume they were involved because I like to imagine a world where the canon of Coddle makes sense. And, um... <laughs> And then Keith is, I mean, Keith has guilt because never seen, so that's fine. I feel like Biana is also somehow part of, like, the never seen's, yeah, some, something along those lines. Um, Tam and Lin, well, they're not really here yet, but Tam and Lin. I don't know, I just feel there's something that, I feel like you can bring everyone into it. In, into the, like, the concept of of guilt yeah and also like into the concept of like just the whole thing with the secret and the humans and the um and like the vacker legacy and stuff you need to connect that and the never seen that's like the first thing you have to do which i feel like they can do pretty easily because by now it's just like okay the never seen was relevant to this and then we're like okay sure and so you'd have to do that and then I feel like that would bring in, like, a lot of people. But then, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it should all be connected, and then it would work. Yeah, and I think it can all be connected, like, just in the ways that you said. Like, I think it would, I think it's still possible to work, for things to work out that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. I feel like with these books, there end up being a lot of loose threads, and it feels like, like, I want that. I want things to tie off, or at the very least, braid together in some form. I mean, like, I think, especially with a story of the scope, like, it's okay to leave a few loose ends, like, the, regarding the more unimportant things. Like, I think there are some storylines that are, like, there's the archetype and Nightfall and sorry, a couple other things that... <laughs> like, exactly, right? Like... Nobody really cares about the archetype. It was like this book that Lady Gisela was like either trying to get or she had it and they were trying to get it back. And then it never really got resolved. But the thing is, that doesn't have that much to do with like the overarching plot. So, but at the same time, like I do think it's still important to like the big things that you've been building since book one and book two, you know, things like how the elves deal with guilt and also like just the never seen as a concept and Prentice. Like, and yeah, Prentice. those are, those and are Prentice. important 
and Prentice. And Prentice. Oh my god. I'm never but, gonna yeah, shut those up. Those are important Prentice. to tie off. We've known about him since book one. We've like we met him in book two. We woke him up in book what? I think it was six? Four. End of book four. End of book four! We woke up at the end of book four, and it's book And he eight. hasn't done anything since then. <sighs> what do you know? What is your mind? When? Like, like, isn't he the person who's supposed to have all the answers? So, like, wouldn't it be productive to have a conversation with him? I don't know. Just the thought. Just, you know, Like, and he's him. been hanging out with Wiley, right? Like, he's okay and conscious and talking? Or is he still not like that? Like, I don't even know. No, no, because they... They got him out of, like, the coma thing in book four, at the end of book four, Tam did that, and then in, um, and then they fully woke him up, I want to say, in either Lodestar or Nightfall. So, like, I think he's been, like, conscious for at least a couple of books now. And it's just, why haven't we, why haven't we, like, why didn't we get any answers from that that was prentice that was the thing that was going to give us the answers why don't we have answers yet oh like i'm sorry i derailed your point your point was that like there are some things that aren't important there are some things that are and we should tie up the the the, the points that are important i just but prentice you yeah. make a really good point <laughs> it, is, it is a really prentice! good point Oh, Prentice drives me mad because I, I, it's so fascinating. Everything about him is fascinating, and it was supposed to explain things, and it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. I mean, ah. Honestly, like one of the best parts of Keeper is the structure of the mind, the model of the mind, and how, how what what happens when you go in there, try to explore it, and they just they could do so much more with that, and I feel like they're not doing that. Or at least just, like, acknowledge Prentice's existence. I don't know. <laughs> also that. There's there's a line in here, and I saw it, and I can't find it, the exact line right now. But it's, welcome to, the wor- welcome to working with the Black Swan. It's a lot of disappointments. And, like... <laughs> yes. But here it yeah, is. Mood. Welcome to working with the Black Swan. It's full of disappointments. Page 228. And it's just, like, not to be... Not to be all like mood, but... Mood. (laughs) Speaking of guilt, though, you know what didn't get dealt with ever in this book that I wanted desperately to see? Okay, Everblaze. Dex builds a circlet. What happens? Well, the circlet gets used in unforeseen ways by the council, ends up really hurting one of his friends, and... Okay, well, yeah, and ultimately, he has to shut it down. His technology is used to hurt one of his friends. It is, is, is misused in some way, malfunctions in some way. One of his friends gets hurt because of it. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. He builds a cube. I mean, like, we get it was my fault in the next chapter, but I don't ever remember Dex just getting to sit down and have, like, a real crisis over... Everything I've made has been used to hurt people. Holy... Like, that seems like the kind of thing that an elf, especially an elf, like, people who don't hurt people, like, their whole thing, they developed a system of execution that didn't require them to physically hurt anybody. And Dex's technology, the, 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 
most prominent uses of Dexon's technology, other than the stick, which as we've already established was awesome, but the most prominent uses of Dexon's technology have been to physically hurt people. Sophie is so incapacitated by this blinding headache that she passes out. Fitz nearly dies. You've got, like, even the sucker punch, which he made to help people, to protect them, that's still being used to hurt people. It's, it's, it's the people who are trying to hurt them, yeah, but it's still, like, this is an instrument of physical damage. I've made this. Like, dude, sit down and wrestle with that. That's all, that, like, that's fascinating. Have a crisis about I it. I totally agree. I wonder if, you know how, um... Kessler, I want to say. Father of Dex. Yeah, Kessler. Kessler, like, taught his kids, like, self-defense and stuff and, like, gave them knives. I feel like that yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah, and that I happened. wonder if Dex actually, because of sort of the way he grew up with this knowledge that, like, sometimes violence is necessary and sometimes violence is okay. Yes, the fact that, like, he hurt his friends, that should definitely be something that's addressed. But, like, other than that, you know, the sucker punch and stuff like that, I feel like he deals with that differently than most elves, and he's more okay with that. Because he's already been in a position, he's already had that discussion where it's like, sometimes you're going to need to hurt other people. That makes sense. Yeah, that actually makes sense. And that, that makes me wonder, it, it started in, in this book, in this section, actually, where Della started teaching everybody, like, martial arts skills, and then this goes on to, like, the skill training and Lodestar and things, like, later on where they... Like, when they start preparing the population for war, maybe there will be some sort of, like, mass change in mindset where in preparing the elves for war, the elves will become more comfortable with the idea of violence, which could be good or bad. Yeah, that is cool. Okay, okay, so what if they, like, they prepare all the elves for war and they're conditioning them to be more okay with violence and then that sort of sets up for them to be able to reveal the secret that was in Kenrick's cache or whatever, or, like, reveal something that the council did, and, like, people will not break. Because they're already having to learn to deal with, like, nuance. Oh, jeez. That's... That would be cool. That's cool. I did want to bring up... We talked about Keith's crisis a little, but I think, um... But there was like a section in the middle of this section where um where Keith like he takes the Fathom Leap. Yeah, is such Fathom cool Leaps and then thing. Mm-hmm, Yeah, and then he starts like remembering all this stuff and he starts like writing it all over his walls. And I have multiple things to say about this. The first thing I wanted to say is that during this section, he keeps saying, I wish I was a Vacker. The Vackers would never betray anyone. (laughs) Mm, The sweet, sweet taste of dramatic irony. So, um, yeah, I was reading that and I was like, (laughs) Okay, okay, look, I I don't know if I've established my opinions on Keith, but I am, for the most part, biased against him. I'm sorry, like, sometimes you just pick a fave and you stick with them, and sometimes you're like, eh, I don't really like this character. Like, I'm sorry. There, there are analyses to be made, but at the end of the day, I'm just biased. But this moment, the, 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 there's a moment um, where Keith, like, he's got all these notes, and one of them says, who am I? And Sophie looks at it and says, easy question. 
Yakif Senkin, master mischief maker, tormentor of principles, frequenter of detention, and one of the best guys I know. And she like plucks it off the wall. This is this is one of I, I, I honestly did not remember this moment until I came back and reread it. But it's one of the tropes that always gets me. Just this idea of like, who am I? I am lost. What is my identity? And, and, and responding to that question with actually, no, this is who I am. This is what I claim myself to be. Or no, we know who you are. This is who you've been to us. Whatever happens doesn't, isn't going to change that. And I love that. Yeah, like that was such a good scene. And like, I, I same, like I totally forgot that that scene even existed until I reread it and I was like, oh wow, like, I feel like I've been getting progressively more and more annoyed with Keith as the series goes on. So it kind of took me by surprise to like, come back to Never Seen in particular and see actually how, how much I actually found myself invested in like, his and Sophie's relationship in this book specifically. It's just, it's just a good, like, I feel like you were talking about Keith's arc earlier, and I feel like, once again, this is the arc where you get, here is what you have, like, here is what you have gained. Here are your friends, here are the people who love you. On the other hand, here is the thing you're dealing with. Here is this mystery of who you are. And you have to choose who you are, Keith. Are you, are, are you Keith Sagan, friend of Sophie and Fitz and Dex and... A uh, member of the Black Swan, and um, you know, are you part of that world, or are you Gisela's son, a creation made to be something? Server of the Never Seen. I mean, server. That's a weird word. But the point is, like, you have to. <laughs> Would you like some Oris Dovers? <laughs> I definitely said that wrong, but like. You, you have to, it's like you have to choose. You have to choose how you want to solve this mystery. Do you do it with your friends or do you do it with the Neverseen? And at the end of this book, he's like, no, I'm going to do it with the Neverseen. I feel like, like, I can't solve it here. This entire book, I haven't really gotten anywhere. I need to know I'm going to go with the Neverseen. And I feel like that's a really powerful decision. There's a reason why the prevailing meme after this book was an opera song going, keep betraying everyone, and now we are all dead inside. That was a moment. And then in Lodestar, it's like, but they, it's okay, it's okay. They're still, like, friends, and they're chill. And, like, Keith's, Sophie's chill with Keith, and they're still chatting telepathically. And I honestly wish you'd just gone full-on, nope, Keith is staying the out of Sophie's mind. Keith has no contact with Sophie. Sophie is broken up as heck about it. So is everyone else. Everyone is having a crisis. And when Keith ultimately ends up deciding, wait, this did nothing, I, I, I gave up so much. I ruined my relationship with the people I care about and worked with the never seen and I didn't get anything from it. Like, then you get a brand new crisis and the crisis is I made the wrong choice I did, and I lost both things. And then you can 
wrap that back into, okay, how do I rebuild my relationships with my friends? And how do I then decide who I am from here without letting that be defined by anything else? Love Star was just a really weird situation because I think that exact arc that you described and like that character development with Keith was what never seen seemed to be setting up for like exactly and it's what everybody i think expected lodestar to be about and then loads and then the book just did like a complete 180 and was like actually no there's no consequences for this it's fine everybody's fine with keith being in the never scene the last thing i wanted to bring up though was um about keith's memories he wrote down a lot of stuff on the walls um and one of them was that he was asking why Gisela had tested him twice for conjuring, which makes me think secret second ability at the end of Legacy, possibly conjuring. Who knows? Maybe. Conjuring is such a random power, and also everyone, like, there are so many people with conjuring, but that was a snap. But maybe it was intended to, like, hide a cache. That's inter- That's an interesting idea. Yeah, because I, I agree. Like, I have no idea why conjuring would be a special ability that, like, Gisela really wanted. Um, but that is interesting. Either hide a cache or find a cache. What are- do we remember what the exact rules on conjuring are? They can interact with, like, the void, right? So, like, so they can, um... Well, they can, like, snap things, like, they can, like, snap and then an object will move from one place to another, right? And then, but then they can also hide, like, Edeline hid the cache in the void and then made it so that Sophie could snap it out of there if she wanted. And I think that's, those are the main things we know conjurers can do at this point. So you could hide things in the void and then have other people snap them out or you could snap them out yourself. Either way, it would be an, basically an inaccessible... Which is really, really interesting. Because, yeah, that could have, like, two paths. The first one's, like, if there's something in there already and they need to get it, but, like, whoever hit it died That's or whatever. That's terrifying. But also, like, yeah, to take something and put it in and hide it. Oh, that would be cool. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, I did want to bring up, like, um, the exile. So, exile. Uh-huh. It's very sketchy because they are just basically, like, I was not into this because they were basically just being like, oh, yeah, all these people are monsters. They're irredeemable and, like, they're incapable of, like, basic, like, critical thinking skills and logic and like we shouldn't be treating them as like entities and that was just a little bit um sketch to me not to be that girl but i'm gonna bring it back to the whole thing where it's like you can't commit a it is hard you can't commit atrocity maybe you can i don't i don't know how human cruelty works that's too much we're already nearly at an hour not the time for that discussion point is if you commit atrocities against a person, you're probably going to feel at least a little bit guilty. If you don't think of them as a person, maybe you feel less guilty. True. So you can see Sophie kind of falling into that mindset. A uh, couple other things about Exile, off the top of my head. Uh, Sophie listened for Prentice. Yes, it's Prentice again. But his ghostly voice had gone silent. 
Uh, she transmitted her name again, and when he didn't respond, she tried Black Swan, followed the pretty bird across the sky. Wily. The last word brought him back. Like, not to be that girl where it's like, love is how you find your way out of the darkness. But love is how you find your but way out of darkness. It's the best trope in the book, it y'all! Is. It's the best trope in the book! Like, literally, literally, the Greeks, I mean, not to be, that's how the story goes, because Orpheus and Eurydice has a ton of meaning, but like, centuries ago, people looked at Orpheus and Eurydice and went, hey, love is how you find your way out of the darkness, and we're still doing that today because it's that good. I just, I want more of that whole, like, like, we see it with Alden, we see it with Prentice, we've probably seen it in some other places, but I don't know where i just i want more of that like this is how we're going to find each other this is how we save each other this is how we bring ourselves back we remind ourselves of the people that we love shall we move on to social media if you want to send us a message you can go to keepercast on tumblr or the keepercast on instagram and you can also find me at malamelting on tumblr and instagram um, I don't have a Tumblr or an Instagram, but uh, you can find me at Stardreamer2 on AO3. Someday I'll post some Coddle fic. Someday. And you can find me at Aelin-Ashrover-Galathinius um, on Tumblr, aka just like the name of the main character of Throne of Glass with dashes. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. This has been KeeperCast. Guest. <laughs>